You're listening to Radio Looks List, and I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 87. The title of tonight's episode is More Immigration Treason from the Biden Regime. Okay. Well, you know, I don't have any really kind of snappy or interesting stories from this week. I, I don't know. It's kind of a boring week. And, and kind of an unremarkable week, I guess, in some ways. I hope you had a great week. In fact, I hope you had a great last, it must have been two or three weeks since I, I did uh, did one of these. So I know it's been a little while here. It's good to be back behind the microphone. So I'll tell you what, why don't we just dive into tonight's topic? How about that? So I had the title of this as uh, the Biden, uh, you know, more immigration treason from the Biden regime. And of course, there's a good reason for that, because uh, daily this, as far as I'm concerned, this this uh, group, Biden and, and whoever happens to be controlling Joe Biden, are going out of their way to uh, assault, to attack, to destroy the United States of America. This is what they're doing. And of course, you know, I say that's kind of interesting. I it, it kind of leads me into thinking about another topic here, but you've probably heard some about the Disinformation Governance Board and uh, all of that business that they set up a few weeks ago. And apparently the uh, the person that they had uh, had tapped to be the head of that her name was Nina Jankowitz. Well, she she resigned and they they paused the uh oh, well, I guess what do you call it? The I guess they paused the activities of the Disinformation Governance Board. But I heard, and I think this was just yesterday. I'm I'm recording this on Saturday the 21st, but I think that it was was just yesterday that they announced that they're going to uh, to bring it back. And I think that the person that's supposed to head that up is a guy named Michael Chertoff. Let's see if I can... I know I had heard that. Let's see if there's any... If I can find any story here. Uh, you know, what's kind of funny here is, of course, they whine about the Disinformation Governance Board. And it says, a panel to combat disinformation becomes a victim of it. It says, the Department of Homeland Security suspended the work of a panel focused on the subject of disinformation. The group had provoked accusations of government overreach. And so they, they go on here to, to write the, this is the New York Times here. In fact, let me go ahead and get that story up. I always forget to do that here. So why don't we get that going? Okay. And there we go. Yeah. Here's our story from the good old, the good old gray lady. And the New York Times has this to say, the Department of Homeland Security announced on Wednesday that it was suspending the work of an internal advisory board intended to combat disinformation after what the department described as a deliberate disinformation campaign. The creation of the panel called Disinformation Governance Board set off a firestorm of criticism when it was announced last month. While the criticism came from across the political spectrum, including civil liberty groups, the fiercest denunciations came from the right. Republican leaders and commentators talked about it as if an or- as an Orwellian ministry of truth that would police people's speech. Well, that's because that's exactly what it is. And what they, they say here is, well, oh, that was never the board's mandate, a department spokesman said in a written statement. Instead, it was meant to coordinate departments, various agencies in the fight against malicious disinformation by foreign adversaries, drug or human traffickers, or other international crime groups. Oh, of course. Of course. And the Department of Homeland Security has such a great track record of telling the truth and um, doing what's in the best interest of the American people. I mean, the Department of Homeland Security, I guess I think it's the TSA that's under the Homeland Security. You know, these are the people that make you get your shoes off and uh, x-ray you and um, basically feel you up at the airport when you, you need to, uh, uh, to try to get on an airplane. 
Or um, you've also got this clown, this Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the head of the, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, who's the chief guy that is implementing the um, the board, the open borders, the border rush of the Biden regime. I mean, the man is in a post that's supposed to uh, to facilitate the uh, the policing of the borders to uh, limit to. Uh, uh, illegal, illegal immigration to deport those who should not be in the country. And yet he's doing everything to facilitate the invasion of the United States of America. But we're supposed to believe him that, yeah, this, this, this really was just about foreign, you know, dealing with foreign people. And, and you're just a bunch of right wing disinformation spreaders. If, if you think this is an Orwellian ministry of truth, well, that's exactly what it is. And, and they haven't gone away and they're not going to go away. Yeah, see, I couldn't find. I I know that I heard something there. Oh, let's see. Here it is. Anyway, I like this headline. This is in the New York Post. Biden puts disinfo Mary Poppins on ice. Scraps Orwellian DHS board. Well, they paused it. They didn't really scrap it. So I, I think this thing's going to come back, and it's going to come back with a vengeance. And I, and I think we can assume that. I mean, yeah, you have to understand the Biden regime is not going to give up trying to assault your. Uh, your your constitutional liberties, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Uh, the uh, the Biden regime's war on domestic terror, and and how essentially what they've done here, and, and they really have done done this since the beginning of the Biden regime, but they have essentially declared war on Republicans. That's the uh, the upshot of this domestic terrorism bill that they passed this past week. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Anyway, so we're getting back to uh, to the whole immigration thing. And the first story I wanted to take a look at here is, uh, I guess there's some, I guess you would call this some mildly good news. And this is from Politico here. And the headline is Judge Blocks Biden Administration from Lifting Title 42 Border Policy. The pandemic related health order, which was implemented in March 2020 to control the spread of COVID, was set to expire on Monday. So we read here, a federal judge on Friday blocked the Biden administration's move to lift Title 42, a Trump-era policy used to expel more than 1 million migrants at the southern border. The pandemic-related health order, which was implemented in March 2020 to control the spread of COVID, was set to expire Monday. The measure gave the U.S. the authority to immediately expel asylum seekers without a legal process. And Friday's ruling means an even longer waiting time for migrants seeking refuge to the United States. Okay. You know, the, the, see, this is the thing that always just drives me nuts about the way immigration issues are reported in the mainstream press. It's never reported in the way that, okay, this is causing hardship for the American people. It's always, oh my gosh, the unfairness that we're, we're imposing on all these illegal, all these illegal aliens trying to sneak into the country. And you notice notice the way it's worded here in, in this article from Politico. And Friday's ruling means an even longer waiting time for migrants seeking refuge in the United States. Well, you know what? Good. And they need to go back where they came from. This this is, you know, it, you know the, the American people, whenever the, the whole subject of immigration comes up, the job of the American people, according to the mainstream press, is to sit down, shut up, and fork and fork it over. The only thing, the only function that you have in this whole thing, you have no voice in it. You have absolutely no right to object to one single person coming into this country, regardless of what their situation is. You have zero right to, to say such a thing. Your only job is to keep silent and fund it and pay for it. You know, you're a cash cow for the, the, essentially the treason lobby. 
that is that is doing this to the United States of America. And it absolutely just drives me nuts to to read these kinds of stories. And I get so angry when I when I read them. Uh, let's see here. There's a another story that I found here called the the sorry state of the Biden border and how it looks to get even worse. And this is written by Alan Wall. Now, Alan Wall is a guy, I think I had him on as a guest, I think maybe a couple years ago on Radio Looks Licit. And we actually talked about one of the articles that he had written, commenting on a uh, an article on, in Slate magazine. Now, Slate, if you're not familiar with that, that's a, it's an internet, it's a very liberal, very progressive kind of a publication. But I, I like Alan Wall. I think he does some really good reporting. Alan Wall is is an evangelical. I believe he's a Baptist. And he's interesting, too, in that he lived for a number of years in Mexico. And he speaks Spanish fluently. He's actually married. His wife is Mexican. So, I mean, he's got a lot of ties to Mexico. But he's an American patriot. He's in the, the, uh, the military. I believe he was in the army. And he has written about immigration issues for... A good long time, I'd say at least 20 years, maybe even longer than that. And so he's got this article here in U.S. Incorporated, and it's just called The Sorry State of the Biden Border and How It Looks to Get Even Worse. And by the way, U.S. Incorporated, that's actually a good source for uh, for immigration issues. And uh, I know Alan Wall, I think he's closely associated with this group, and a lot of his articles appear on this website. So if you want to think about, okay, where can I go to find some decent immigration commentary? U.S. Incorporated is a pretty good place to go. That's a good place to start there. So uh, Alan Wall writes here, he says, the Biden border rush continues. Let's look at some of the statistics to see just how bad the situation is. Now, this was written April 21st, so this is a month a month ago, but I think, you know, what he says here is still certainly applicable. He talks about in March, on April 15th, Customs and Border Protection reported their stats for the month of March in a court filing. The agency reported encountering 221,303 migrants. That's an increase of uh, about a third from the previous month, which was 165,894. He's talking about under Section 235 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, DHS is supposed, DHS is Department of Homeland Security, is supposed to detain all illegal migrants and aliens seeking admission who are not clearly admissible. But through the end of March, the Biden administration has released 836,225 of them. These are big numbers, but what do they really mean? To what can you compare them? And he's talking about this fellow, uh, Andrew R. Arthur, who is with the uh, Center of, uh, for Immigration Studies. And so he cites some of, uh, some of uh, Arthur's work here. And this is what he says. The number of illegal immigrants to the Biden administration released into the United States is greater than the population of Seattle, which is 787,000 roughly, or Denver, 760,000. Besides the released detainees, Arthur takes into account unaccompanied alien children who are placed with a sponsor and 620,000 estimated gotaways who were never apprehended by the Border Patrol and concludes that the total number of illegal migrants who have reached the interior since Biden became president stands at more than 1.6 million. Then Arthur provides this concrete analogy. If those aliens were a city, it would be the sixth largest in the United States, exceeding the population of San Antonio and Philadelphia. Consider this, however, and this is Arthur continues, as 1.6 million aliens who will be living in the United States indefinitely, if not forever, represent about 0.5% of the total current U.S. population. They each exceed the tight admission caps in the Immigration and Naturalization Act, 
and they all arrived since Inauguration Day. And his conclusion, that is Alan Wall's conclusion, this is not an accident, nor is it incompetence. The Biden administration's border policy is intentionally flooding the country with illegal aliens for political purposes. What other explanation is there? Yeah, uh, I think he's, I think Alan Wall is exactly right about that. He's exactly right about that. Now, a few things here that I wanted to mention. There are, now here's another article. Since we're talking about immigration, and one of the things that I've pointed out quite a bit over the years is that the, I, I think very possibly the single biggest promoter of the immigration invasion of the United States is the Roman Catholic Church state. And the Jesuits are very much involved in this as well. You, you maybe didn't know this, but there's actually an organization out there called the Jesuit Refugee Service. And the Jesuit Refugee Service, they don't like the fact that a federal judge um, decided to prevent uh, Title 42 from ending. Title 42 is, is a Trump-era policy that allows the United States to expel People who are, uh, I believe they carry infectious diseases. I think principally COVID, it was put in, in, uh, in effect for that. And Title 42 is supposed to go, uh, go, go away on Monday. And as that first article we looked at, the one from Politico, it says judge blocks Biden administration from lifting Title 42 border policy. Well, the Jesuits aren't happy about that. Big surprise there. So here's what the Jesuits say. Jesuit Refugee Service USA is deeply disappointed by the decision of a federal court in Louisiana that will prevent the Biden administration, make that Biden regime, from ending Title 42 after May 23rd. Public health experts have repeatedly affirmed that, title, affirmed that Title 42 is not needed to protect public health. However, the policy has been used to prevent millions of asylum seekers from legally asking for protection. Okay, so let's stop right there. Now, the Jesuits have been some of the most fanatical, tyrannical, authoritative promoters of the worst COVID tyranny that there is. Whether it's vax mandates, whether it is lockdowns, whether it's mask requirements, you know, whether this is something that's coming from Pope Francis, who's a Jesuit, or other Jesuits, you know, say here in the United States or elsewhere, they have promoted this. And so now they're going to sit here and cry about the, the retention of Title 42, which is put in place primarily because of COVID. They're going to cry about that. I think they would be happy about that, right? I mean, these guys are the COVID fanatics of all COVID fanatics. You know, Anthony Fauci, and he's a Jesuit of the short robe. You know, he was Jesuit trained from his youth, from elementary school all the way up through undergraduate. It was at uh, Redfield, Dr. Redfield. I think Robert Redfield. Yeah, he was another guy that has uh, close Jesuit connections. Francis Collins has been uh, very closely connected with the Vatican. I don't know if he's trying to think now whether he had uh, direct Jesuit connections. He claims to be an evangelical, but he's, you know, he is, is deeply involved with the Vatican. So I don't want to hear this nonsense from the Jesuits. The Jesuits are not your friends. The Jesuits are sworn enemies of the United States of America. It is a treasonous group. It is an unchristian group. And, you know, the thing that, that's really, really gets me about so many of these Roman Catholic groups, whether it's the Jesuits or others, is that they sit around and they denounce human trafficking and, and cry about things of this sort. Well, it's their policies that are creating this. But, of course, they want to blame that on the people of the United States, not their own evil policies. And notice how they, they frame this. You know, I mentioned before about how the mainstream press 
whenever the, the immigration issue is talked about, it's always talked about from the standpoint of what's good for the illegal aliens, not what's good for the United, for the people of the United States of America, not what's good for the citizens of the United States, the American people. That is never in view, not in the mainstream press and not in these Jesuit, uh, Jesuit or Roman Catholic uh, press releases. Now, I think it's interesting that they both basically take the same stance. What's good for migrants, what's good for illegal aliens, that's what's talked about. I mean, it makes you kind of wonder if there's, say, some Jesuit Roman Catholic control over the way this issue is reported in the press. Kind of makes you wonder about that, doesn't it? So the Jesuits, they write here, however, the policy has been used to prevent millions of asylum seekers from legally asking for protection. Well, what if, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Because that's millions of people that the United States of America, that the people of the United States of America do not have to support. That's millions of uh, threats to our national security that are not in the country. That's good. And the more, of it keep, the more that uh, Title 42, the more people it keeps out, the better. So let's see here. So the Jesuits, uh, I guess the Jesuit Refugee Services consistently voiced concerns since Title 42 was first established in 2020. Well, because of course they don't. I mean, what they want, what they want to do is they want to, to shove vaccines on you. They want to shove masks on you. They want to lock you down, but they want to invite the world into the country. They don't care about the United States of America. They don't care about the American people. They care about advancing the church, the cause of the Antichrist Roman church state. That is what they want to do. You're dealing with the devil when you're talking about the Jesuits and you're talking about the Antichrist Roman Catholic Church state. That's what you're dealing with. These people are liars because their father's the devil. He's the father of lies. You know, that, that's what these guys are. I know I'm getting kind of worked up about this stuff, but I am so tired of these people writing these types of things. And nobody talks about it. Nobody calls them out on it. Nobody points it out. Nobody calls it the evil that it really is. And Jesuit Refugee Services is an evil organization. They do nothing but evil continually. So let's see. What else here? Um, oh, let's see. Joan Rosenhauer, Executive Director of the Jesuit Refugee Service USA, she says this. This is a huge loss for our country. It undermines U.S. law and international law by continuing this harmful policy. No, it maintains U.S. law, and it is a huge win for our country. I'm glad that this... I'm glad that the, the judge ruled the way he did, did. Now, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. I mean, this isn't even close to over. And the Biden regime and the Jesuits and the Roman church state, they're still flooding our country with migrants, with illegal aliens. Vulnerable families we work with every day who need the help of the United States will continue to suffer. Well, they, the, these illegal aliens have exactly zero claim on the money of the American people. When they talk about who need help of the United States, what they mean is you and me, and we're supposed to sit down to shut up and fork it over. Well, no. You know, these illegal aliens have zero claim on your money. They have zero claim on my money. And these evil Jesuits want to foster theft. That is what they do. But then they're Jesuits and actually, you know, they're just doing their Jesuitical Jesuit thing. You know, Jesuits going to Jesuit. That's just how those guys roll. So that's exactly what I would expect of them. But I wanted to point this out to you because it's it's important to for us to keep our, our eye on eye on the ball, so to speak. I mean, there there's so much stuff going on right now. You know, this this last week, I was sitting down trying to put together a program here today, and 
it's almost, it's really overwhelming. You almost don't know sometimes where to begin with things. And I, uh, I, I wanted to talk some about, it. I wanted to feature immigration because I haven't really done a program on that for a little while, but there's so much other stuff that's going on. And and we're going to talk about some things, but it's going to be whatever I talk about here. It's going to be woefully inadequate. So another thing that I wanted to discuss was Twitter as a uh, as a place that you can go for uh, for uh, immigration related issues. And there are a number of Twitter feeds that I follow, some that I agree with, some that I don't agree with. Since we're talking here about the Roman Catholic Church, I wanted to show you one. The Migration and Refugee Services, Renewing Hope, Seeking Justice. And Migration and Refugee Services, if you can see, if you're, you're watching there on the, on the live stream, you can see it's sponsored by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So I follow this, this feed all the time, and it just has nothing but anti-American destructive lies in, uh, it, it, as part of the Twitter feed. There's not one statement they have ever made that benefits the American people or shows any concern about the effects of their policies on the American people, which, of course, they don't have. They could not care less how much destruction their policies bring about on the United States. They care simply about getting as many illegal aliens into the country as possible. Yeah, was it wrong to politicize Molly Tibbetts' death? And since we're talking about illegal immigration, you can see all the crocodile tears from... These uh, these prelates of the of the Roman Church state. Here's an example of what their policies in, in the way they harm the American people. This is a very concrete example of this sort of thing. So I wanted to share this here with you. Um, this is a uh, the the headline. This is Alan Wall's website. It says the headline here says Was it wrong to politicize Molly Tibbetts' death? Molly Tibbetts was a 20 year old student at the University of Iowa who worked at a children's day camp. On July 18th, 2018, in the summer before what would have been her sophomore year, Molly went jogging in the countryside near Brooklyn, Iowa. Molly didn't show up at her job the next day, so a massive search was launched to find her. Over a month later, the police were led to her dead body in a cornfield. Mexican national Christian uh, Bahena Rivera, age 24, was arrested for Molly's murder. Bahena Rivera had followed Molly as she jogged, gotten out of his car, and jogged with her. Molly threatened to call the police, which angered Bahena Rivera, who stabbed her 9 to 12 times and dumped her body in a cornfield, covering it with corn leaves. And it says here that Bahena Rivera was employed in the, uh, in the area as a dairy worker by Yorabi Farms, owned by Craig Lang, a prominent Iowa Republican. And this guy, I mean, he was, was an illegal alien. This Bahena Rivera, he was an illegal alien. He was in the country illegally. And this is what, this is the kind of effect that allowing mass illegal immigration in this country causes the kind of evil effects that it does. It kills people. It kills Americans. And this stuff is completely avoidable if the government were doing its job. But it won't do its job. And in fact, it goes over and above the uh, to do the exact opposite. And it endangers all of us. And so when you sit here and you read stuff by the Migration and Refugee Services and they talk about, oh, you know, the poor migrants, oh, this, oh, that, the other thing, they never tell you about things like what happened to Molly Tibbetts. She was stabbed nine to, what, nine to 12 times by this illegal alien, killed and had her body dumped in a cornfield. I can tell you the U.S. Conference of the Catholic Bishops couldn't care less about that, and they will never talk about that. 
I've one of the things that I do with the the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. I actually go out to their website on a regular basis, and they have a press release area out there on the website. And I always look for look through it because they release you know, maybe about four or five press releases a week. And typically, I would say in a typical month, there's at least one or two press releases dealing with immigration. And I can tell you uh, of a truth that in all the years that I've been following their press releases, not one single press release has anything, it, have they ever said anything that is true or beneficial to the American people. It's constantly all about flooding the country with 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 uh, as many migrants, many immigrants, many refugees as possible. And the thing that's kind of that, that really gets me going when I read through the US Conference of Catholic Bishops comments is that they're all every now and then they make this this sort of boilerplate comment, "Oh, well nations have a right to uh, to enforce their borders, but but that's that's a limited right and it just so happens in this particular case that that you Americans you don't have a right to do that the needs of the immigrants override the needs of the american people and and that's the way they always present it and it's funny every time you see them make the statement the the uh right of the immigrant always always triumphs over the the uh, well-being of of the American people. I've never seen it go the other way. It's like flipping a coin, and it always lands on tails, you know, like 300 times in a row. You know, it's tails you lose, heads they win. Well, they always win. The migrant always gets in and always has a right to steal your stuff, according to the the Antichrist Roman Church state. That's just how that organization runs. They're liars. They lie about everything. And you can get this kind of that sense when you go through their feed here. This is the, the feed of Migration Refu- migration Refugee Services from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Oh, let's see. So here's one that they just put out. This is the most recent one. Immigration Reform and the Church's Voice is a new report from MRS Services that highlights some of the challenges confronting efforts to bring about positive immigration reform and the Church effort to bring, uh, to bring reform. Now, of course, when they talk about positive immigration reform, that's just code for flooding the country with as many migrants as possible. But I, I can, I can tell you that when they talk about positive immigration reform, they mean destroying the United States through mass migration, immigration, and refugee resettlement, all which you're going to pay for. That, that's how that rolls. That's, uh, that's the, uh, that's the Roman, uh, Roman Catholic Church state in a nutshell. That's their stance on, on immigration. Oh, let's see here. Here at MRS Services this is another, uh, another tweet. Our educational institutional engagement program works with organizations to advance research on immigrants and refugee populations. Learn more about the projects we're working on and see how your institution can get involved. Oh, no thanks. Let's see. And then here's another one. Human trafficking is a crime against all humanity. We must unite our efforts to free victims and stop this crime. Pope Francis. Well, it's the, the policies of the Roman Catholic Church and the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and migration and refugee services that are causing the human trafficking. They're causing this stuff. These people, these, the, the Roman Catholic Church's policies are getting people injured and they're getting people killed. But they put out these really pious-sounding kinds of statements. Oh, they've got, they've got an anti-trafficking resources page there at at the at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, JFI. That's Justice for Immigrants. That's another that's another organization of the of the Roman Church state that pushes the the aggressive 
influx of, of migrants. Let's see. Yeah, here we go. Justice for Immigrants. Okay, so this is another feed. This is, uh, this is also uh, a, an organization that's under the, uh, the aegis, uh, under the auspices of the, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Oh, let's see here. Immigration Reform in the Church's Voice is a new report from MRS, as Migration Refugee Services. So, see, they, they just quote one another here. That's one of the things you, you notice about this. But they do have different things on here. Um, let's see. If you're unable to attend this week's webinar MPP in the courts, the recording is on the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Justice for Immigrants website. So you can go listen to... A recording of how you're having, you're supposed to destroy your country uh, to make the uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops happy. And here's another one to learn more about how you can help support and accompany immigrants and their families in your community. Please visit Catholic Accompaniment and Reflection Experience Care Program's webpage today. So there's a, another page that you can go to, and you can find out how to aid and abet the destruction of your country. Uh, with the uh, the help of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Justice for Immigrants. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, basically, you can commit immigration treason. And again, you you can just scroll through here. Like, here's another one. Check out the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Justice for Immigrants website for the constantly updated page on the Afghan relocation program. Sierra Statements Resettlement Map and how you can help those in need. Well, they ought to be returned to Afghanistan. And I, of course, and I like this picture here because they show a mother, she's carrying a baby and, and with a child, uh, holding hands with a child. The, from what I understand, the overwhelming number of these Afghan refugees were males, were young fighting age men. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, that, that represents a genuine threat to the people of the United States. And we've imported these people with, with no concern about what they might do, uh, to Americans. In fact, I don't know, maybe the Biden regime actually would, would consider them the, the fact that they're a threat, maybe they think that's a good thing. I think that's entirely possible. Um, here's another one. This is for Justice for Immigrants. In his recent encyclical Fratelli Tutti at Pontifex, that's that's the Pope, that's uh, Antichrist, uh, talks about our obligations to those who are living on the margins. Of course, what that means is you, know, you, you and I have, in, in the mind of Antichrist, an obligation to fork over our money to all these migrants. And of course, if we won't do it willingly, he's going to get the, uh, going to get the, uh, the government to use its gun to steal your money from you and give it to these people. Because that's the kind of guy that, that's just how Antichrist rolls. That, that's who he is. That's what he does. All right. So those are some, some negative examples. Here's a, actually a, 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 maybe a positive example. If you want to go somewhere on Twitter and you want to find some good information, just find some, some interesting reports on a regular basis. Bill Malugin of Fox News. Uh, does some good work, and he he puts out typically multiple tweets each day uh, through the week on uh, what's going on in the southern border. I mean, here's one. It's called uh, that uh, he uh, he retweeted this one. Chico is this dog here it was brought to Eagle Pass by migrants. They can't take animals into processing. There have been several dogs left in the sector, so you have these dogs being abandoned at the border. And he writes about that. And let's see here. And here's Malugin again. This is a get from today, earlier today. Despite Title 42 remaining in place, DHS numbers obtained by Fox News reveal that in Yuma, Arizona sector, out of 1,285 illegal crossings between Friday and Saturday morning. So just in this one sector, there are over 1,200 illegal crossings in a period of about a day. Only 33 people were expelled via Title 42. And he says that's about 1.7% of the total. So what that means is the remaining people, 
let's say, I guess that'd be what, 98.3% of the people are not being expelled by Title 42. And I guess apparently are, are getting into the country one way or the other. You can just scroll through here and you can see example after example. Now, here's one. Again, this is from Saturday the 21st. And he says, we just had another group of approximately 60 people raid through the river and cross into Eagle Pass, Texas illegally just now. And again, you can just see the camera and these big, huge, this this caravan just keeps on coming. Here's the next tweet down. Good morning from Eagle Pass. This is part of a group of 120 that crossed illegally late last night. And let's see what else we have here. So I mean, here's more here. Even the title 40, even with the title 42 ruling, the status quo stays the same. These massive historic border numbers have all happened with title 42 in place. While we likely won't see those massive post uh, title 42 projections from DHS, expect record numbers to continue. Yeah, well, of course, because that's what the Biden regime wants to happen. I apologize if there's some noise right now. I think we're getting some some storms here. You may be able to hear some some rain or maybe even thunder in the background. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so Bill Malugin is a good source. If you want to go on the Twitter, if you're on Twitter, and Twitter is a great way to get your news. I mean, I know there's tons of problems with Twitter, but there's still a lot of good stuff out there, and it's it's a great way to to just get uh, get news out of and news stories and sort of bite sizes, some, uh, some things that particularly interest you. If you're in, like immigration, such as I do, it, again, it's a, it's a great thing to, uh, it's a great tool for finding out what's, uh, what's going on, keeping on top of what's going on. So that's about all I wanted to say there about immigration. The next thing I wanted to mention here is the, uh, the Democrats declare war on Republicans. And this is, this is an article from the AP from May 19th, and it uh, says, House passes domestic terrorism bill after Buffalo shooting. And what you do is you, you just read through the AP story, a couple paragraphs here. Uh, quote, the House passed legislation late Wednesday night that would bolster federal resources to prevent domestic terrorism in response to the racist match shooting in Buffalo, New York. And of course, Joe Biden, the, you, you have to be, you have to understand when Biden and when the Democrats talk about things such as racism and white supremacy, they're not talking about, say, the, the, the Ku Klux Klan. They're not talking about skinheads or groups like this. What they mean by white supremacists is they just mean Republicans. As far as they're concerned, every Republican is a white supremacist. So, I mean, if you're a Republican, and you, uh, especially if you're a white person, well, in, in your in in their mind, you're a, a white supremacist. And and what's interesting, I, I say, especially if you're a white person, but there's also a a term sometimes they've come out with. They call it multiracial white supremacy, and that is people who aren't white but who tend to say be conservative, uh, maybe tend to go maybe be Republicans. Well, they're white supremacists too, even if they're not necessarily white. It's it's kind of a a very intele- very interesting intellectual backflip that they they try to do, and of course it's absurd, and their their entire position is absurd. But it's very very dangerous. You know, the Biden regime has been waging a a war, is essentially dis- declared war on on the Republicans. Tucker Carlson talked about that uh, this past week. You know, this is an attempt to uh, basically criminalize the opponents of Joe Biden. And he made the point that the last time one party talked about another party like that in American history, it was the Civil War. And it really does seem as though the Democrats are trying to gen up Civil War 2.0. So keep an eye on this, um, I, I, the, on this, this whole war on domestic terror. 
Because whenever they talk about terrorism, all they do is talk about white supremacy. They never talk about the Black Lives Matter riots of 2020. They never talk about Antifa or any other type of, say, black supremacist groups that are out there. No, it's it's white supremacy. That's the only thing that they focus on. And when they talk about white supremacy, what they mean is Republicans. So you don't have to be a racist of any sort to fall under that aegis. All you have to do is be a white person. And it's it's an extremely dangerous and is an irresponsible lie that these people insist on putting out. There's a lot more to be said on that, but I'm just going to skip ahead here. This is kind of a, an interesting story, maybe a little bit lighter type of a story. Something I found that, that kind of surprised me here. And uh, the headline here says, How Gen X Became the Trumpiest Generation. Well, I, I always kind of stop whenever I see a story on Gen X just because, well, I, I'm Generation X. Okay, so what, what's Generation X? Usually it's people born. It's generally considered if you're born between 1965 and, and 1980. So I fall into that category. And the thing that's kind of interesting is that, that sometimes, and I, I've complained about this from time to time, I guess, is that people in my age group, it's like we don't exist in the mainstream media. My brother doesn't exist. I don't exist. All the people I went to high school with, well, they don't exist either. Because all when you read stories in the mainstream press, they always talk about the baby boomers and they always talk about the millennials. And, of course, the Gen Z folks, I guess they call them Zoomers, they, they, they're they starting to get more mentioned, too. But Gen X just doesn't even exist. And so I thought it was interesting, this particular story, that talked about how Gen X became the Trumpiest generation. And this actually is in Politico as well. And when you read through this story here, they talk... So let me just read through some of this. It says, Gen Xers, which can be roughly defined as those born between 1965 and 1980, came of age under President Ronald Reagan amid the end of the Cold War. The popular image of Generation X has never quite fit in with any easy political framing. It's the generation that produced grunge rock and gangster rap, but also reached cultural consciousness at the height of the greed is good 1980s memorialized in Oliver Stone's Wall Street. So let's see here. Sometimes they call Gen X the slacker generation. I don't know. Maybe I'm a slacker generation. Maybe I'm a slacker. But there was a, let's see here. There's a breakdown that they had here. I'm going to see if I can find that. Um, says, while voters have historically tended to be more conservative as they age, that has accelerated with Generation X. In fact, Tom Bonnier, the CEO of Target Smart, a Democratic data firm, told me that Generation X has now become the most conservative generation, surpassing the boomers in their rightward tilt. And, and that's actually kind of interesting. I have a friend of mine who's uh, a year younger than I am. He's, a, he's, a, he's an Xer, and he's got boomer parents. And his parents are real hardcore Democrats, and he's a very conservative Republican. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting um, how that worked out in uh, in his family. I know that they've had a lot of uh, – there's been some real tension there, in fact, he's told me, because of, uh, say, the COVID issue, the COVID shots. And there's a uh, – there's a – I can't find the comment in here, but it, it talks in here at one point about – the uh, the people, especially people born in the, the mid to late 60s. Let me see if I can. Uh, now, though, there is no confusion. Generation X is safely Republican. One model from 2014 measuring only white voters through the 2012 election shows that those born in the mid to late 1960s, that would be me, 
uh, being the most Republican-leaning of all, more so than the older boomers and silent generation. The silent generation are the people that were born right before World War II. In fact, that's my parents uh, fall into that group. In a poll released in late April by Marist NPR that separated voters by generation, Generation X had the highest level of disapproval for Biden uh, and were the generation most likely to say they would vote for a Republican candidate in the midterms if they were held that day. So there you go. <laughs> I guess that's why. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why the why I think the way that I do. Well, actually, I, I don't think that's the, the the main reason why I do. But I, I do think some of these these generational studies are are interesting. And it's, it goes on here. It also says, as Republican pollster Kristen Soltis Anderson told me, if you first became aware of politics during Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush Clinton era, era, you're more likely to lean a bit more to the right. This was a time when even Bill Clinton was proclaiming the era of big government is over. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's exactly when I became, at least politically, uh, the age of the majority. I turned 18 in 1984, and Ronald Reagan was the first president I ever voted for. I voted for Ronald Reagan. He was the Republican candidate in 1984. That was uh, for his second term, and that was when he was running against uh, Fritz. I guess was that Fritz Mondale, Walter Mondale. I, th- I think was the uh, was his opponent. Yeah, yeah, Walter Mondale in in 1984. Man, that's been a long time since I. I thought about that. He, he had a nickname, Fritz. Sometimes they call him Fritz Mondale, but it was Walter Mondale. And there was a funny, I, I remember when they were, when Reagan was, they were having some of those presidential debates and the politics was a little bit friendlier back then. You know, you didn't have some of the acrimony that you do do today. And uh, Reagan got a question from uh, the, uh, the moderator and something, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something to this effect like, well, you know, a lot of people are saying you're too old to be president. What would you what would you have to say about that? Because Reagan was he was the oldest president in history up to that point. And Reagan's response was something like, well, I, I won't hold my opponent's uh, youth and inexperience against him. And, and of course, it cracked everybody up. And <laughs> even Walter Mondale had to laugh <laughs> at that one. But that was a that was a great response, and uh, that's one of the, the things I remember about about the uh, the 1984 presidential campaign. So anyway, so it's interesting to know that this is a Gen Xer that I'm part of the as the uh, the article says part of the Trumpiest generation. <laughs> I had no idea. That's very interesting. So let's see here. Um, Oh, the other thing here this, this whole last week, and I, I thought this was really, really quite something, was the the uh, issue there. Uh, you've probably heard some of this stuff about monkeypox. Uh, I guess apparently this is the the whole big thing, and you know the government just ordered this this big stash of vaccines, and now monkeypox. You know that's going to be the the end of the world as we know it. I guess, and there's a, a lot of people clamoring about this. There was a yeah, there was a a tweet that was put out. In fact, here, here's let me let me put that back on here. Let me put the screen share back on. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so this is uh, a tweet. The a German health minister name is Lauterbach. German health minister Lauterbach, a G7 meeting. He says this quote: "We will do a very realistic exercise in which a smallpox pandemic results from a leopard bite." End quote. Well, of course, one of the things, if you followed the the COVID pandemic at all, you would would realize that 
the uh, the the COVID the the pandemic. I mean, really didn't get started until January or so. I mean, it, it didn't really hit the news at any rate until January. I should say COVID scamdemic. Well, let's call it the scamdemic. Let's let's call it. I think that's a much more accurate term for it. So the COVID scamdemic didn't start until. January or so of, of 2020. And probably if you're like me, you probably never even heard of COVID before then. And, but one of the things that many uh, researchers have pointed out is in October of, of uh, 2019. So just about three months or so before that, there was a, a conference that was held. It's called Event 201. It was held at, I believe, Johns Hopkins University. And it was it was a a practice exercise. So all these government types they got together and they were presented with the scenario. Oh, there was this virus, and I think the virus even came out of Asia, if I'm remembering correctly. And oh, how do we respond to this? You know, and and they came up. Oh, we got to lock everybody down, and you know, all this mandatory authoritarian this that and the other thing. Well, and it's very interesting that the the scenario in event 201 was very similar to what happened with covid just a few months later and a lot of the solutions that were implemented were also very similar to some of the things that they talked about at event 201 and a lot of people have said that that looks very suspicious and that it may have just been you know a practice exercise for what they knew was was going to be coming in just a few months and I think that's right. I, I, I strongly suspect that that's the case. I mean my my stance on covid is that it was engineered Number one. And number two, it was intentionally released at the time of the choosing of the people who do that sort of thing. You know, whether you're talking about, and, and that could be, I, I think any number of people may have been in on that and including, uh, obviously Fauci was involved with it. But I mean, when you talk about organizations, you're talking about the World Economic Forum. I thought it was interesting that the, the release of that, the occurrence of that violence, vi, virus started right after their big annual meeting in January. That was very interesting. So they had their meeting, and then all of a sudden, it was it was almost right after that that the virus started to become a big thing. I think the Vatican is in on it, um, in in my opinion. So I mean, I yes, I, I think the thing was engineered, and I think it was released, and I think that that was a practice session for it. So now you have this this German health minister, this Lauterbach fellow. He's out here saying, you know, they're going to hold a very realistic exercise in which a smallpox pandemic results from the leopard bite. Well, is is that some kind of, are, are they telling us here that that's going to be the next pandemic? Well, I mean, it could be. I mean, it's frankly very suspicious when I see things like that. I actually mentioned that to a, a friend of mine who, who, a couple friends of mine who do some research in this area. And, and uh, one of them, he, he tended to think that probably smallpox was not going to be the the next big thing he he was of the opinion that bird flu might be it so so we'll see here and, and maybe he's right um but i i think at least when you you look at it i think that what's going on right now with smallpox seems very similar in some ways to what we saw before the uh before covid uh, really took hold so so we'll see keep an eye on this though I mean, by all means, keep an eye on the smallpox thing and, and see where this goes. Well, I think that's about all I've got here for today. We're getting on to, well, not quite an hour here, but uh, I think it's probably about enough for this evening. Thanks so much for joining me. I really do appreciate that. I wish you and your family a blessed Lord's Day. And until next time we talk, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word.